Sports Snapshot. Pac-12 tourney play today. Washington men taking on Colorado. That game beginning right now. Meanwhile, Cactus League play is going to be an evening game today. The Mariners are taking on the Dodgers tonight. Uh, the Giants have franchise-tagged running back Saquon Barkley after reaching an agreement on a four-year, $160 million extension with quarterback Daniel Jones. Snapshot brought to you by Miller Lite. When it's game time, it's Miller time. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. You are listening to Bump and Stacy. One final time, we're going to revisit the one-year anniversary of that trade of Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. Joining us now to recap ESPN Broncos reporter Jeff Legwald on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. And Jeff, it's been a very weird 365 days for these two teams. Uh, a question that I asked my co-host, Michael Bumpus, I'll throw your way to get this thing started, which was, what was the most surprising outcome of this trade for you? Uh, I think just by season's end, it went from, you know, confetti cannons and <laughs> Super Bowl aspirations to Ken Russell Wilson being an effective starter. I, you know, that that's a pretty long uh, drop in the mm-hmm. in the conversation meter, and, and I think to me that was the most surprising. And you know, you can you can get pretty deep in the weeds about you know whose fault it is or how it happened, but uh, he was not helped by an inexperienced coaching staff, and he himself, Russell, didn't I don't think manage or understand the level of expectations here when he arrived. When you look at the the situation now, um, you got Russell coming back. He'll be um, held accountable, we feel like, by Sean Payton. What's the Bronco Nation feeling? Is this – are you back to confetti expectations or is everyone saying, okay, let's crawl before we walk and just see how this thing pans out early in the season? Well, you know, I think the, the initial expectation was, is okay, they at least hired uh, an experienced coach who can – who can manage the situation better. You know, I, I, I've said here that, you know, I, I, I look at it like, you know, when teams draft a guy number one in the draft and then it doesn't work out and everybody's uh, throwing barbs at the player, you know, he didn't ask to be the number one pick. He just picked up the phone and said, thank you. Uh, Russell just simply asked the Broncos, can I have all these extra coaches uh, can I have some workspace in the building? And the Broncos said, yeah, sure, that's not a problem. And so to me, it was a parental problem on the Broncos' end, you know, that, you know, Russell just sort of asked for these things and was given them uh, when he shouldn't have been, you know, in retrospect. And Sean Payton, that's the first thing he's already dealt with. He, he's already said, look, there's, there aren't going to be any extra coaches in the building. It's going to be Bronco personnel and that's it. And, and, you know, Russell will be like all of the other players. There will be, a you know, Peyton's words have been, I have a way of doing things. And I think Wilson already understands, you know, sort of there's a new sheriff, a new mayor, a new Dean of students in town. So, uh, and it's the new head coach. 
a year from now when we're talking about the outcome Seattle got from that five overall pick and the outcome that Wilson got from working under Sean Payton, do you think that there's another chapter here where where Wilson really does improve and the Broncos can kind of take something back from that trade? Yeah, I think a lot of it will depend on on Russ. You know, the, the last two games of the year with an interim coaching staff, which was really odd, uh, he played far better than he had for the, the previous, you know, 15 in the sea or, you know, his, his previous starts in the season, you know, six touchdowns in the last two games total uh, and was far more patient and willing to move the ball around and, and do all those things that people have been clamoring for all season. And he did it in a 13 day span of the interim head coach of Jerry Rossberg. So I think from a football perspective, that's what they're looking at here, that when he was uh, just dealt with like a, you know, more like a player and they said, look, this is how we're going to run the offense this week. And this is why we're doing it. Uh, he was much better than, than the rest of the year. So I think that is the football optimism and, and Sean Payton's record with every quarterback he's coached, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Brees, obviously, but quarterbacks have performed their best much of the time when he has coached them. So I think, uh, and, and I don't think Russ is going to have many choices about, you know, he's going to tell like any quarterback would, he's going to tell Sean Payton, the play caller, this is what I like best this week in this game plan. But the philosophy of the offense and how he's going to want the quarterback to play, that's all coming from Peyton. And to my understanding, you know, Wilson's already, you know, interacted with him and let him know this is what I want. Actually, you know, Wilson politicked pretty hard for Sean Peyton to be the coach right after the last game of the season uh, before the Broncos had even interviewed him. Now, you got your coach, you got your quarterback, but uh, we all know that Russell needs some weapons. When you look at the weapons, we know guys were banged up last year. Do you think there's enough for this offense to get going, or do you feel like some major pieces need to be added to this offense? Well, they got some issues in the offensive line, and I think that at the root of Russell's mechanics was a lot of that. They couldn't protect anything last year. So when he did hold the ball, it was just that much worse. Uh, So I think that's that's a big investment they're going to have to make in free agency and the draft. Probably uh, they had all five starting offensive linemen spend time on IR last year. And four of them were not, were on IR when the season ended. So that's the biggest thing. Uh, they love what they saw from Jerry Judy at wide receiver at season's end. And, you know, I, I think they like him. They like what they have at tight end and, so I think they feel pretty good about in general. Now they've got some work to do at running back uh, with Javante Williams. Uh, will probably not be healthy at the start of the season. Uh, so they've got some guys to add there. So I'd say O-line and running back will be the, the off-season spots for when they add folks. Hey, it feels like the rest of the league and experts around the league uh, or even reporters and hosts, right? Like including me, uh, looked at the AFC West and thought, oh, my God, what a powerhouse division. This is appointment viewing. No matter who's playing, uh, you know, will the Chiefs, you know, uh, make the playoffs? Will the Chiefs be a wild card? And of course, the Chiefs ended up proving they're still top dog and and it wasn't particularly close. Uh, Do you think that, you know, this season, the other three teams in that division could continue to challenge Kansas City? 
Well, I think they all know the pressure now. I mean, Mahomes is only 27, so yeah. it's not like you're you're getting a break. And, you know, Andy Reid, I think Andy fully understands what he has in a generational player at quarterback, and he's. I think he's going to ride that system and, and collection as long as he can. So I, I think, you know, I think you have to approach it if you're the other team's you're not going to get a quarterback better than Mahomes to go straight up in that discussion. So you need to be very good at some other things to, to get by them. And I, and I think that's the approach. You need spectacular quarterback play all the time if you're really going to be good. But, you know, just in this whole notion, these other teams are going to go out and find a guy just as good or better than Mahomes. I, I think that's, that's wishful thinking and probably shouldn't be their approach. Jeff, when you had the opportunity to see Russell Wilson with his teammates, um, what was the feeling that you got? Did you feel like they were in this together, working through this hard time, or did you feel the natural division that happens when you're not reaching expectations? Yeah, when, I mean, I, I always say when you lose, there's no right answer for anybody. You know, whatever you're doing in the public eye is wrong. Then you know, and and I think. As the season wore on, I, I think uh, Russ found this is a, you know, this is a, a tough market anyway. I, I don't think people perceive it that way just because it's, you know, the the team in the mountain time zone tucked in the Rockies. But, you know, they've sold out every game here since 1970. I think the local media contingent when a two-win Bronco team went to London for a week was 31 people from the local media. And I think that was an adjustment for Russ, given suddenly everything he did when he bought a house, uh, when he had his birthday party, you know, everything was always on the front burner and then they weren't winning. And not only weren't they winning, they had the lowest scoring offense in the league. So uh, there wasn't much right, but how he interacted with his teammates, I think he got better as the season went on. Uh, even as the the losing kept going, and the last few weeks of the season was was probably his his interactions with his teammates were probably as good as they had been all year. And I think some of that was the uh, when Nathaniel Hackett got fired. Uh, just a lot of the guys were like, "Hey, you know, we gotta we gotta hang together on this," and and they were far more cognizant of that thing. And I and I think he tried harder as the season went on, I, I think as he got more settled here, he decided and understood. And I think some of his teammates told him, Hey, you gotta, you gotta spend more time with these young guys. And, and I think he did try to do that as the season wore on. Um, we were earlier talking about some of the bigger lessons we've learned from this trade. Um, you know, whether it's about player narratives or whether we write people off or, um, you know, I mean, shoot, whether we think that you could never trade a franchise guy, right? Because Russell Wilson, even though he stumbled towards the end of his tenure here, was still considered a franchise quarterback for sure. Um, What's something that you think the trade, uh, you know, made you either realize or reflect on that's maybe a little bigger than some of the specifics, like a broader NFL thought? Yeah, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to forget, you know, inside the helmets, there are there are human beings in there, and I really do think, though he will never admit it, or at least he hasn't when I've asked him, I, I do think the expectations got to Russell a little bit here. I 
Mm. I think he he sort of tried to embrace it publicly. But I think as the criticism kept coming and the losses kept coming and they didn't score touchdowns and he looked just so out of sorts. uh, I mean, he didn't just look uncomfortable in the first two months. He, He looked like, you know, they hadn't worked on offense in training camp at times. And I think all of that really got to him on a human level and it affected how he played. And I'm not sure he would ever admit that because, I mean, you guys know he he's very in tune with this. I'm not going to speak anything into existence, even negative things. So uh, I don't know that he'll ever speak to it, but I, I would guess just from being around it every day here that uh, he, he has been humbled some in the process and, you know, how he, approaches this off season will show if, you know, if the message got through or not, but I, I think he was really far more. And I, I think he was far more unsettled than he will ever admit to. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah, I agree. He, he's not going to get up there and let you know that, um, you know, he's playing bad ball and he's a little shook. He's a positive dude. So us being positive as well, Stacy and I, we think Russell's going to bounce back. He's had too many seasons where he's played well when you look at Russell and what he has to do and what the organization needs to do to support him, whether it be personnel, um, coaching or whatnot, what does that look like? What does a successful 2023 look like for Russell? Well, I've said, you know, if he, if he had simply played the rest of the year, like he, he did the last two games, they would have won 10 games. Uh, you know, I think they, I think they lost nine, eight or nine, one score games as bad as he was playing. They still were in almost every game. And if he had just simply played and they had simply coached him like they did the last two games, uh, I've said, you know, Hackett, I think, and that staff, their biggest difficulty was they continued to coach the team they wished they had instead of the one they really had. And, you know, they, they just did not give – the personnel groupings and the parts of the playbook that were going to work with the injuries they had. I mean, at one point they had, I think they had 24 guys on IR Mm -hmm. and they were calling games like they had everybody and it just wasn't working. The last two games of the season, they actually called games for who they had in uniform and Russ played much better. And I think Sean Payton has proven over the years, that's how he coaches. So I think there's a natural bounce back just simply and doing the right thing on game day. Great insult, uh, insight from Jeff Legwald of ESPN. He's a Broncos reporter. Uh, Bump and I are going to take a minute or two reflecting on some of what we learned from Jeff. But, Jeff, we're going to let you go. We're going to let you get out of here. We appreciate you taking the time, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. Anytime. Thank you. All right, again, that was Jeff Legwald, who's an ESPN Broncos reporter. And I'm really glad, Bump, that for the anniversary of this trade, we decided to kind of make it a theme to start the show, kind of like looking back, right? Hindsight, 365 days. What did you learn? And I'm really glad that we brought on uh, a Broncos reporter. Great get, Curtis, because I think that when we asked him what he learned, what stood out to me was saying, you know, that like players are people. We know that. But mm-hmm. I think that we focus so much, obviously, on the Seahawks side. It's important to have someone on Denver say, hey, I learned that like even players who seem mentally tough can break down. And Russell Wilson would never admit it. But I think he really struggled with that. Yeah, and he got to see the day-to-day. You know, he got to feel Russell when it comes to the way he was talking. I can look at somebody walk into the room right now, and if they did it, 
15 days in a row and something happened, you feel something, right? You're like, mm-hmm. something's off. What's going on in this person's life? And I think that's the insight that those guys have. We're on the outside looking in saying, Psh, he's over there just playing garbage football. Um, and we get the whatever we see on ESPN. We get the cliff notes of what's going on over yeah. there. And he gets the real deal. And he mentioned, you know, the veteran saying, look, you got to spend time with these with these young guys. You know, he mentioned um, Russ going to the podium and, you know, looking visibly like, okay, he's bothered a little bit. And because we only get the cliff notes and all we see is him giving that positive uh, cliches that we that we get, we don't get the real. So, no, so I think it's important that we do bring on people like this to give us a perspective we have no idea about. Yeah. I'm, I'm not in Colorado. I'm in the Northwest. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Well, and I think, too, like... I think we can all agree that Russell Wilson was really villainized towards the end of his tenure here once it seemed like he had turned on the organization. And I think he expected more public support given the sheer number of people who had complained about Pete Carroll and the team and um, uh, the offensive line. Right. Like those complaints were there. Russell Mm -hmm. Wilson was hearing that. And I think he expected people would be like, yeah. But the problem is when he came out and said, you know. Hey, and I'd like for us to change this. People were like, whoa, 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 whoa. I as a fan can complain about this, but you're supposed to be with this team, man. Yeah. And, I, and I think that that was probably a surprise to him. I think beginning with that sentiment, things kind of changed for him. And he went from having a lot of public favor to almost becoming villainized in a way that to an extent that like I would, you know, tease and you kind of, um, you know, joke about things that are easy to joke about, like you doing high knees on an airplane. I'm sorry. It's easy to joke about. But it almost got to a point where I like felt bad, and I was like, "Man, I feel like, um, you know, Russ isn't an exceptionally likable person or a personable player, mm-hmm. uh, but he does care, and he does try, and he cares about winning, and he believes in, you know, himself and in, and in what he can do, and uh, it's just." It's interesting to know about the and talk about the psychological effects of a trade. The psychological effects of a new environment, the psychological effects of different media environments. Denver's no joke, man. Yeah, so I've heard. And um, last thing I'll say about Russ is right. that everything he did in Denver, he felt was the right thing. He, In his soul, in his heart, he felt this is the way this organization, including myself, can be successful. Um, so I think he moved with integrity in that sense, mm-hmm. but sometimes he lacks the ability to be in it and see all the chaos going around and be like, all right, maybe it's me. Maybe it's something that I need to change. That's what Sean Payton's going to bring to the table. Yeah, good final word on Russ there. Let's get to headline rewrites. Extra, extra, read all about it. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. <laughs> Headline number one, old pal Aaron Schatz, who uh, didn't make any friends in this Friend part of the, the show, yeah. not friend of listeners. <laughs> yeah, who didn't make any friends by saying he Ken Walker not. wasn't anything oh, to write Aaron. home about. But in a column for ESPN.com said Ethan Posick was named as the best free agent fit for the Seahawks. What's the real headline? A reunion makes sense in the cards, but I don't like that hand bump. <laughs> we've, we feel like we've seen this movie before. But that's what the Hawks do, though. They, they bring guys back. Yeah. Quinn Jefferson's been here three, four, five, six times, it feels like. Three, actually. <laughs> hey, here with my seventh time. Yeah. But nice, dude. That's what they do. So if they if they were to bring him back, then that tells me that they see something in him. I have not watched a lot of Cleveland Brown games. I could not tell you what he looked like this year. 
but the experts were saying it was his best year. Good for him. He's 27, 26 years old. I thought he was older than that. If they were to bring him back and he put together two or three good years, he could help this offensive line. I just don't want to go that direction. Yeah. I'd rather go young, start over, that center spot, get, find your Max uh, Max Unger, find your Humphreys, find that guy. Don't bring back someone who's already been here. Let's uh, have a center, the same center for more than a year challenge. Yeah. would be really great. Also, I have to call myself out, the 206. Stacy, you sound like a coog, go coogs, when you say villainized instead of vilified. Hashtag English, hashtag still love you. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah, I'll call myself out for that one. It's how I feel when I watch reality TV and they go, I really love people who are family orientated. That's me watching Love <laughs> Island. Orientated. Orientated. Yep. Okay. My bad. Next headline. Headline rewrites. Headline number two. Stephen A. Smith called the Ravens' valuation of Lamar Jackson, quote, insulting. What's the real headline? Hot take expert keeps it cool by stating the obvious. This isn't an insult to Stephen A. Rather, it's saying, hey, I know Stephen A's shtick, and I love it. A lot of people don't, uh, is to come out with this inflammatory take and get people riled up. I think he's right on. It is insulting. It is insulting. And there are a lot of people saying the same things. A lot of people who do what we do at a higher level and they're all saying the same things. And there's a lot of people in the text lines, you know, saying, well, this is because of his mom. It's him just being um, selfish. And these QBs need to be taught a lesson. But it's like, no, nah, that's just how this business is right now. And he has an opportunity to capitalize on his abilities. Mm-hmm. So why? Why? He has to do that. You should do it. This is the only time you're going to get that type of money thrown in your hand. But he's not getting it. And because of who he is in this in the NFL, the way his peers view him, the way these owners view him, even though they don't want to bring him in and sit down and negotiate, is the reason why he has to be firm and try to get as much as he can right now. Maximize your abilities. You're 26 years old. The next time you get a contract, you'll be in your 30s. You'll be talking about less money. Also, collusion, artificially limiting people's ceiling for earnings is wrong. No matter the mm-hmm. industry, even if you feel like quarterbacks get paid a lot of money, it's always wrong. Headline rewrites. Headline number three, Daniel Jones somehow got $160 million (laughs) from the New York Giants. What's the real headline? That's a lot of sweater vests. Congratulations. Danny Dimes, uh, maybe with the least oh, like amount Danny of swag. Yeah. Oh, wow. Good point. Oh, that should have been my headline rewrite. Well, Dang it. It can be. Oh. Pretend I never said it. Yeah, well, just more like Danny Dollars. Uh-huh. Oh. Wow. No, Danny Dimes, uh, I think uh, everyone can agree. Just like I said, everyone can agree with Stephen A on things looking a little weird for Lamar and the Ravens. Things look a little surprising for the Giants and Danny Dimes. We thought that the Giants could find a way to utilize an extension and a franchise tag on either uh, Saquon or Danny Dimes. Um, To be able to bring both back keeps intact the most important pieces of an offense that went to the playoffs last year. Does it make it better? Does it make it better? No. They still got some work to do. But you got to have your guy at the quarterback spot and you got to have one of the best running backs in the game. Saquon had his best year since his rookie season. So he's healthy. He's looking good. You look at Danny Dimes' numbers, 15 touchdowns, five interceptions, 3,200 yards, nothing crazy. Yeah. Where he made his money is being able to run the ball. If he yep. runs for 7-0-8 and seven touchdowns, this contract looks a bit different. And then you just have a coach that believes in you. We don't know what the re- his relationship is like with Dable. Mm-hmm. Do they text? Do they talk all the time? Like, What's it like when they sit down in the meeting room? That matters, and that played a huge role in this. I wouldn't pay that much for him, 
But if that organization feels like they have their guy, they have to do what they can to keep him, make him happy. That's what happened. What I'm curious about is I, I think the Giants will and should add a receiver fairly early in the draft. And uh, I'm curious to see if that changes our own perception of Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm going to say that, hey, uh, sometimes a narrative stronger than a player and it's not fair, which is what I wrote about with Geno Smith, I have to also admit the same could be true about Daniel Jones. My narrative and perception of Daniel Jones is that uh, he can be dynamic and that he can run the football uh, and he can be a careful player, but that he's not an elite passer. But he doesn't have a lot of weapons, so we'll see if that changes because they need to address that position uh, with at least one pick early. We'll see if they even make more than that or maybe sign a big free agent wide receiver. Uh, all right, this hour of Bump and Stacy's brought to you by Muckle Shoe Casino. Coming up, a look around the NFL. We're going to start with Calvin Ridley penning an apology. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Ross. Sometimes when you don't hear about a player for a year, you kind of forget about him, right? The NFL's busy with plenty of news, but Calvin Ridley finally talked about his year away after being suspended for gambling on football games. And it sounds really tough. I got to admit, you guys, after hearing about this story and reading about it, I do think of Ridley a little bit differently, but let's get to it. Ridley penned an apology note to the NFL and fans for betting on games. That note published in the Players' Tribune. He says he blamed up. You can guess which word might fill that in. He calls his decision to bet on games the worst mistake of his life, and then he explains how he got there. So, Bump, here's what he said. Uh, in 2021, he stepped away from the, de- the team to deal with uh, some mental health issues. Those mental health issues stemmed from some stuff in the 2020 season where he had a broken foot, he was taking pin- painkillers, uh, dealing with some painkiller stuff, and then his house was robbed and he was just stressed and anxious, so he's like, I need to take a break. So he takes a, wh- he takes a break, and he's in a dark place and he just wanted something to do to take his mind off of it so he downloaded this betting app he saw a tv commercial for a betting app and he says for whatever reason this is a quote i downloaded it on my phone i deposited like fifteen hundred dollars total literally just for something to do and he's doing it to bet on nba games he said i bet like 200 on some nba games that night and then i just added a bunch of games for a parlay so i put the falcons on it i was just doing it to root on my boys basically i didn't have any inside information i wasn't even talking to anybody on the team at the time it was totally I was totally off the grid. But of course, you cannot bet on NFL games when you are an active player. And so he gets a call from the NFL. He's investigated. He's suspended for a year. He's now with Jacksonville and he's feeling really optimistic about his season, saying that uh, on his daughter's name, if he's healthy with Trevor Lawrence, he's given Jacksonville 1,400 yards a season, period. First, him betting on the Atlanta Falcons, <clears throat> the fact that he put his name in, let you know he didn't know what the heck he was doing. Exactly. He signed up. He put his name down. He has Calvin no idea. Ridley. Probably put his social in there and everything. <laughs> that's right? what I'm saying. Like, he has he no doesn't idea. Know. You know when someone makes know. a decision that's so dumb where you're like, they can't know. Yeah, he had no idea what he was doing. Now, he knows now, obviously, because he was suspended a year, and he sounds remorseful. That's all you can ask for. Now, him joining the Jacksonville Jaguars <clears throat> changed the game a little bit. Christian Kirk had himself 1,100 yards. You got Calvin Ridley, who's one of the best route runners in the game. Top five to ten route runners in the game. You just signed Evan Ingram on a franchise deal. He's going to be there. You still got the OG Marvin Jones and Zay Jones as a receiver in a good, in a good backfield. If he feels healthy, I think he can go for 1,400 yards. I think he can at least over 1,000. 1,400 is maybe a bit ambitious, but over 1,000 yards for sure. It's every now and then athletes make mistakes. We're looking at what Joe Mixon got into, apparently shot an 11-year-old. Irresponsible. We talk about Ja Moran in the club flashing a pistol. Irresponsible. This was irresponsible as well. 
but on a different level. Mm-hmm. Man was not informed. Man don't do that. He don't know. So, uh, Calvin, all good. Page of time. Come on, ball now. You are high on a couple teams outside of Seattle and two of them in the South, AFC and NFC. Uh, the NFC, you really like the Panthers if they can figure out the quarterback situation. In the AFC, you really like Jacksonville and their potential. When Calvin Ridley says, hey, if I'm healthy and we're firing on all cylinders, I think I can get 1,400 yards. Do you see that possibility for him as a player? Um, I see him going over a G-ball. I don't see yeah, 1,400 yards. I mean, you still got other players on the team that need the rock. But it all starts with Trevor Lawrence as well and Doug Peterson. They've done a great job over there. This is my sleeper pick in the AFC. I really like the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Calvin Ridley, I feel like he's going to have a good year. All right, next story here. One uh, player could be on the trading block, moving on from one receiver to another. Cards wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins addressed rumors that he could be on the trade block during an interview with the Pat McAfee show. Uh, he said, obviously, he's hearing a lot about the trade talks, but he's just taking things one day at a time. It doesn't look toward the future. He says, quote, I live in the present moment. Right now, the Arizona Cardinals are the team and the roster I'm on. I'm preparing myself for whatever the future holds. I don't really look to the future. I let you guys do that talk. My question bump is actually about Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray bouncing back from injury. You got a new head coach there, some new coordinators. Who knows when Murray will be ready, but I do wonder what this offense looks like long-term with that new coach, with Kyler Murray, without Hopkins. Yeah, if you don't have Hopkins, you don't have that, I'm just going to throw it up and he's going to make a play for me type of guy. That's what Hopkins does. We actually saw that on the Hail Mary um, to Hopkins. He just changes the game. Yeah. So if you don't have Kyler Murray, you don't have Hopkins, then you are really not in a rebuild mode, but it's a hold on type of mode. Just hold on, right? Let's see what we do in this draft. We think they're going to go defense, right? They're, they're positioned to get maybe Will Anderson there. But it's not looking good for the Cardinals. But it hasn't really looked good for the Cardinals in four or five years. Like When's the last time you looked at the Cardinals and say, oh, there's, they're a threat. I need to watch my Briefly. mouth because Colt McCoy <laughs> came over here and beat the Seattle Seahawks. But initially on paper, you don't look at them and say, okay, they're going to be a threat. Especially if you, don't, if you don't have your guys there. So Hopkins is saying all the right things. I'm looking to see how much money he's made in his career. $111 million. He was the highest paid wide receiver for a good several years before Hill. So I just say that because I think it changes the way that he thinks. He's not chasing a contract. He's not worried about, you know, um, changing the lives yeah. of his family. Been there, done that. Yeah. I am where I am. If someone picks me up, I get released. He'll be fine. All right. Well, if you guys were wondering whether a decision on Aaron Rodgers would come today, uh, you're probably wrong. The Jets plane just landed uh, earlier today. When, well, today, this afternoon, not long ago. Uh, they flew out to California. It was Jets owner Woody Johnson, uh, GM Joe Douglas, head coach Robert Sala, and then obviously Nathaniel Hackett, former Broncos head coach, former Green Bay Packers coordinator, who is now offensive coordinator with the Jets. So all four of those guys flew out to see Aaron Rodgers in California and while it sounded like this could be a make a decision meeting, it was really uh, a getting to know you session. That's according to Pro Football Talk. Uh, they said it was the first step in a process and working towards a trade. So there's obviously no immediate news about Roger's decision. I think we're going to have to be waiting a while here. You know what this was? Hey, what's your favorite color? Yeah, that's Where's exactly what it was. From? It was an early date. It if, was you're getting drinks, but not if, dinner. If I pick up your phone right now, what's going to be in your playlist? Like that's the type of meeting this was. Because you have to be able to work with an Aaron Rodgers, and he has to be able to work with you guys. He's at a different point of his career than a lot of people in this league, and the Jets realize that. So, first, personality-wise, can we work together? 
if they left that situation feeling like Aaron Rodgers is a good fit personality-wise, mm-hmm. the football is going to take care of itself. You just hook him up with Nathaniel Hackett and let him go. Yeah, I uh, I don't know that we're going to get a decision soon. I'm also stuck on thinking about like just what those early conversations are like. Are you guys big believers? I mean, um, you obviously dated before you met your respective wives, but when you met your wives, were your early dates just like, let's get drinks and hang out? Or did you go full on classic, like we're going to dinner, I got reservations? My first date was dinner. My second date, I did it big, did it grande. Oh, we went to like Taco a, Bell? <laughs> we went to a resort. We stayed there for like... Three, four days, spent money I didn't have. Yeah, yeah I you did were a trying bit. to impress Jen. It mm-hmm. worked though. It worked. Now you guys are married with three kids. There it is. Curtis, were you big on that? Because my my rule with dating is, I feel like um, when you don't know someone well, you guys were never. Uh, you were married before dating apps became a thing. Let me tell you what, me and the rest of the folks that have been on dating apps, you don't know that person. You're yeah. agreeing to meet based on three photos and three random like one sentence answers. I don't want to commit to dinner. I want to say, let's meet up for a drink. That's it. Yeah. Then I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Then I can leave the room and I'm not kidnapped. <laughs> Curtis. <laughs> Curtis, your thoughts. Your thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah, first date, we didn't do it big. Uh, the first date we went on was just drinks and like appetizers at a bar and then we went out to dinner our second day yeah we kept sounds like a date two thing yeah yeah that's fair uh all right the seahawks still have some big decisions to make in the draft we're going to talk about uh some of the biggest targets there uh look back on some uh some general little uh nuggets that we've got from the geno stuff left over and from carol left over uh kind of like a seahawks potpourri kind of wrapping up that conversation and then we're heading into mariners for the final hour here beginning with shannon dreyer don't go anywhere Bump and Stacy, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. You know, Bump. Every day, I try to keep it positive. I try to make this really uplifting, positive, supportive show. And what do I get in return? The two of you, <laughs> wow. just absolutely dragging my huskies. What did I do? You you what? didn't stop didn't Curtis. You were, you no. You stood by and watched it happen. That's what you did. <laughs> I just chuckled. Curtis is back here just clowning constantly on on Washington as you know we work our way towards how many points right now, Curtis? I can't see the TV. They have twelve points. Great, fantastic. One of my favorite numbers. Left to play in the first half. Fantastic. It just went down. Or Colorado just hit a three. They're up twenty six to twelve. Okay. With two minutes to play. In Not the first insurmountable. Half. Uh, this is all part of the plan. UW went, I calculated it, they went seven minutes and 48 seconds without a field goal. They say the sometimes you half. play your best games when you don't score in, in the first... specifically se- seven minutes and 48 seconds? I would say in the first seven minutes, but... I was um, I was playing beautiful golf when this happened, so I didn't get a chance to recognize these ladies. WSU Cougars oh, women's yeah. basketball yes. team. Congratulations on your... Uh, Pac-12 Tournament Championship, 82 years mm-hmm. it took us to get here. Mm-hmm. Go Cougs. I guess I can end it with that. I, I can't really come back after that. Uh, <laughs> you guys, we heard a bit more about the draft earlier today. This is uh, our uh, final uh, NFL thing here, but I want to get to some draft talk because we've got some news down this morning from a guest that I personally enjoyed listening to. He was on with Brock and Salk. Uh, first, we will start with his comments 
on Anthony Richardson. Why? Because Anthony Richardson has been the most frequently mocked quarterback to Seattle, whether that's at pick number five or whether it's later. Some mocks have them trading uh, with either the Raiders going back to seven, going back to nine with the Carolina Panthers. Anthony Richardson improved his draft stock at the Combine, but is he seen as a franchise quarterback by Matt Stinchcomb? No. And, but that's not to say that there was any... De- he keeps it real honest. <laughs> traction. Um, and so I preface it with, it, and you're exactly right, um, it is different, you know, when you're kind of boots on the ground. So we had a home game, we had an away game. And the coaching staff, they, they spoke glowingly of Anthony Richardson, but to imply, I did not get even the impression, even remotely, you know, this guy's anywhere close to a finished product. So those could be two different things. Is he yeah. a finished product? No. And is he a franchise quarterback? In this case, Matt said no, but but those can be like he could be, but he's not a finished product. Anyone who enters the draft or the NFL is not a finished product. But I understand what he's saying. There are some things that he didn't even show you at the college level mm-hmm. to make you believe that when he gets here, he can work to being a franchise quarterback. But I look at what he what he brings to the table, and I say, well, in the right system, he might be able to eventually be that guy. You look at mobile quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. They still have success in this league. It just doesn't look like anybody else's success. So he knows more about this kid than I do. I didn't watch all these games. I only watched some of his highlights, and I watched one full game. I think it was Texas A&M that I watched with him. And you see the flashes of greatness. And you know who I thought about? I thought about um, – Pryor, Troll Pryor, remember him? Troll Pryor, the, um, he was a quarterback out of Ohio State, mm-hmm. gets to the league, switches over to receiver, becomes a 1,000-yard receiver, and he was a guy with a high ceiling but never couldn't really put it together because I don't think he was in the right situation. This guy's a better quarterback, Anthony Richardson, than Pryor, but that could be a situation. But you got to have the right guy to develop him, too. That's why you have quarterback coaches. That's why you have offensive coordinators. Who really knows? It's a gamble. Will Levis probably can't, won't be a franchise quarterback. Who says Bryce Young is going to be a, um, a franchise quarterback? What they do put on film, though, is more consistent with what you've seen guys um, do in the league when they do become franchises. So I understand what he's saying, but I never rule anybody out. Well, hey, speaking of pick number five, Matt, would you take Will Levis there? No. Nope. I wouldn't take <laughs> I love this guy. He's one of those guys. I, I, I'll the other guy here is Anthony Richardson. Say that, you know, coming into the season, you hear about all these pro scouts and how high they were on these guys. And, and even at one point when people were talking about Richardson being like a top five pick. And, uh, you know, the guys that cover the conference down here, guys that um, do games, and, you know, we've seen some football, played with some good quarterbacks. Um, and we're going, seriously? Really? Because at some point in time, you know, the actual performance beyond the, the measurables and even the intangibles, you think, don't you eventually have to, to put out some, some good-looking film, more than just a couple of good throws a game, if that? For the purposes of off-season conversations um, on, a, on a show where we are here for four hours and, you know, sometimes we just have random conversations about stuff we think is entertaining, we've talked about the possibility of a quarterback at five. Now, that's in part because the Seahawks, if they like a guy, will take a guy. Mm-hmm. Also because Pete and John have said that they aren't eliminating it. It could be gamesmanship to make that pick more valuable via trade, but it's worth entertaining. After listening to this interview, I'm like, 
man, I'm, I'm right back to being pretty sold on a defensive player, which I already was. <laughs> but like, this is someone who knows Richardson certainly well, uh, covering um, obviously uh, the, the SEC, but also like knows Will Levis well. He's he's scouting these guys and writing about these guys. He doesn't feel good about him. Nah, and you're not. You can say that about everybody too. You can find somebody who is going in the SEC, who covers the SEC, that's going to pump up Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. But you always take what people say into consideration because they got eyes on them all the time. That's what's wrong with the combine. Everyone looked good. I didn't see one quarterback. I probably watched maybe eight to ten quarterbacks. I didn't see one quarterback who didn't look good. I'm like, mm-hmm. he can throw the rock. He has a throw at 55, 60 yards down the field with receivers. I didn't see one receiver that was just garbage where I'm like, no, I wouldn't even touch that guy with a 10-foot pole. That's what's messed up about the combine because it makes us, people on the outside who don't watch these kids every weekend and be like, oh, man, this looks good. What's Mel Kiper saying? (laughs) Oh, he likes him. Okay, Mache. All right, cool. So you have to listen to people like this because they have way more insight than we do. Uh, But I watched the film, and I wasn't big on Will. The only thing that gets me excited about Richardson is that he is a top 10 athlete in this draft. So, and I believe football players are the are the best athletes in all the land as far as just uh, speed and quickness and all that stuff. Now, mental games is something else I can point to other um, sports when it comes to that. But these are the best athletes in the world mm-hmm. to me. So, you know, if he's hanging with them, something's all right. Curtis, where are my dogs at right now? Uh, they do not have 20 points yet, but they have the ball with the final possession the first half, 10 well, seconds left. Hey, can you win the game in the first half? You cannot. Hey, they broke 20. Woo! It's 28-20. Four seconds left. Colorado. You say, I, I'm sensing um, some oh, some yeah. negativity still and some some uh, patronizing Arizona. Yeah. Uh, you know, hate that from there. I'm just going to move on though. It's Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We are heading to Peoria to talk with Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer next.